0: Welcome to NTD News Today, I'm Kevin Hogan. Let's take a look at our top stories. Inflation is a huge issue in the minds of voters as midterm elections approach. Find out how it could influence which party prevails in Congress. President Biden saying it'll take some time for inflation to ease while the White House goes on offense on the economy ahead of the midterms. A new strategy on the battlefield of abortion takes shape. Two conservative towns find a way to circumvent their state's law. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis says more hurricane relief is coming from the state and federal level. This, as many are still trying to rebuild devastated areas. (music) Rising costs of rent, food, and gasoline are forcing Americans, many of them already struggling financially, to take a hard look at their options in upcoming midterm elections that will decide who controls Congress.
1: My cell
2: phone is disconnected because I can't pay the bill.
3: Well, there's a lot of struggles going on now in this country
2: with uh, the food. It's outrageous on all the prices.
3: These are the voices of
4: struggling Americans just two weeks ahead of decisive congressional midterm elections, and they reflect the bitter toll of higher prices for groceries, gas, and rent, brought on by what Reuters polling has found to be the number one issue facing voters: inflation.
1: The everyday necessities that people take for granted. You can't afford them anymore, and when you're stuck with
5: nothing, what do you do?
4: Chrissy Zeffield is a 38-year-old mother of three. She is between jobs and sleeping in her friend's basement in the Chicago suburb of South Elgin. Amid these hard times, she compares them to memories of better days under a Republican president.
1: I did see a huge difference in the economy and everything when our former president was in office our gas prices were down, food costs were great, shelves were actually stocked in the grocery stores.
4: Record inflation has undermined Democratic President Joe Biden's approval ratings, and Democrats are worried they could see Republicans take over both chambers of Congress in November. Speaking to Reuters and her friend's backyard, Zeffield reflects on the billions of dollars in military aid sent to Ukraine when there are so many needy people around her.
1: I have never seen somebody pour billions of dollars into another country and not its own, that is clearly hurting. I understand wars going on and this and that, but we got to think about our people
4: first.
3: They say we're not in inflation, but it's economically it's hurting us. Whether you call it whatever you want to name it, it's hurting all of us.
4: DANIEL FERRALES IS A 72-YEAR-OLD RETIREE. HE TOLD REUTERS HE NOW REGULARLY COLLECTS GROCERIES FROM A CHICAGO FOOD PANTRY, SOMETHING THAT BEGAN DURING THE PANDEMIC AND NOW PERSISTS BECAUSE OF INFLATION. HE SAID HE'S PLANNING TO VOTE FOR A DEMOCRAT IN NOVEMBER AND WORRIES WHAT REPUBLICANS MIGHT DO IF THEY CONTROL CONGRESS.
3: THERE'S NOTHING WRONG WITH the REPUBLICANS, BUT THEY DON'T SEEM TO BE WANTING TO GIVE UP ANYTHING. THEY JUST SEEM TO WANT TO KEEP IT OFF FOR THEMSELVES. AND WITH THE DEMOCRATS, THEY'RE VERY GIVING TO THE MINORITIES, to PEOPLE IN general.
2: No, it's kinda hard but we
4: make do with it. Chanel Davis is a forty six year old who cares for both her children and grandchildren. She spoke to Reuters at a free clothing giveaway in Chicago. Her granddaughter was able to find a pair of secondhand sneakers. And
2: my grandbaby was happy for her the pair of shoes. And she's on the phone with her mother now saying, Look what I got, mommy, look what I got.
4: Davis is undecided about how she'll vote, but she understands it's her responsibility to cast a ballot and make her voice heard.
2: Get out there and vote. Everybody. Your vote counts. It does count. I feel like we have done better whenever there has been a Republican
1: in the House. I think our Senate needs to flip as well.
4: But Zeffield, who calls herself a political conservative and lives in a swing district, told Reuters she's unlikely to vote. She has other priorities. Right now, she is saving what little money she has to put toward car insurance, a new tire, and a tank of gas to drive and see her kids who are living with their father.
5: I can't even pick them up to take them for ice cream. <laughs> Just something as small as that.
6: I miss them so much.
0: Staying on this topic, President Biden concedes that it'll take some time before inflation eases for most Americans. Polls show that inflation continues to be a top issue ahead of the midterms. Entity's Jessica Beatty has more.
6: Less than two weeks ahead of the midterms, President Biden Wednesday tried to reassure Americans that high inflation is not here to stay.
4: I'm optimistic it's gonna take some time and uh, I appreciate the frustration of the American people.
6: Biden was at an event unveiling new rules against banking fees. The president again blamed world events for rising prices. He said he thinks Americans are frustrated because the world is in disarray.
4: They know that um, Putin's war has imposed an awful lot of strains on Europe and the rest of the world and the United States. And they want to know, what are we doing?
6: In September, inflation stood at 8.2%, running near the 40-year high. The year before, it was at 5.4%. Republicans have blamed Biden and Democrats for making inflation worse. They cite Biden policies that have reduced or dampened U.S. oil production and Democrats' multi-trillion dollar spending packages. One definition of inflation is too many dollars chasing too few goods. Although Republicans also passed big bills during the pandemic, Democrats upped it after taking control. More stimulus increased consumer demand, but supply couldn't keep up. That likely helped push prices up. As inflation started to rise, Biden and other White House officials dismissed concerns that it would stick around. But instead of going away, inflation got worse. Meanwhile, the White House is sharpening its message on the economy ahead of the midterms, touting the Democrat-backed Inflation Reduction Act the president signed, while also painting Republicans as a threat to American pocketbooks. They're trying to take away the gains that we've made They've been very clear about their, what they're going to do if they indeed uh, take control, right, which is put Medicare and Social Security on the chopping block. And if you do that, inflation goes up. While gas prices have started to come down, inflation continues to weigh on voters' minds ahead of the midterms. Jessica Beatty, NTD News.
0: Zooming out from inflation, the U.S. economy makes a rebound, but it may be short-lived. The Bureau of Economic Analysis reported Thursday gross domestic product increased by a yearly rate of 2.6% in the third quarter, according to initial estimates. The economy suffered declines in both the first and second quarters of this year. Analysts say the boost in growth was primarily bolstered by less imports from foreign countries and consumers spending more on travel and dining. However, another boost might not be likely in the near future. The Center for Economic and Policy Research says due to the Federal Reserve's ongoing rate hikes, it could take a while to see another positive report. And in other news, the Securities and Exchange Commission has adopted a new rule aimed at preventing fraud. Public companies are now required to adjust executive compensation when their earning statements contain errors. On a 3-2 vote Wednesday, the SEC is requiring that performance-based bonuses be taken back when there is fraud or error in earnings reports. In business lingo, such an action is called a clawback. Supporters on the commission say the move will punish corporate misconduct. Opponents say the specific wording of the rule is inflexible, impractical, and too broad. Congress mandated a clawback policy as part of the 2010 Dodd-Frank Act, but the details and implementation have been delayed until now. A billionaire is giving millions of dollars to the Democrats' effort to keep the majority in the U.S. House. Mike Bloomberg is giving $10 million to the House Majority PAC. The donation comes days after the Super PAC sent a memo to donor saying it needed more resources. Currently, Democrats hold the majority, controlling 222 House seats and the Republicans' 212 seats. To stay in power, the majority must maintain at least 218 seats. This is the first donation Bloomberg has made to the PAC for the midterms. The former New York mayor gave the group over $25 million during the last election cycle. Zooming out from inflation, the U.S. economy makes a rebound, but it may be short-lived. The Bureau of Economic Analysis reported Thursday gross domestic product increased by a yearly rate of 2.6% in the third quarter, according to initial estimates. The economy suffered declines in both the first and second quarters of this year. Analysts say the boost in growth was primarily bolstered by less imports from foreign countries and consumers spending more on travel and dining. However, another boost might not be likely in the near future. The Center for Economic and Policy Research says due to the Federal Reserve's ongoing rate hikes, it could take a while to see another positive report. The Securities and Exchange Commission has adopted a new rule aimed at preventing fraud. Public companies are now required to adjust executive compensation when their earning statements contain errors. On a 3-2 vote Wednesday, the SEC is requiring that performance-based bonuses be taken back when there is fraud or error in earnings reports. In business lingo, such an action is called a clawback. Supporters on the commission say the move will punish corporate misconduct. Opponents say the specific wording of the rule is inflexible, impractical, and too broad. Congress mandated a clawback policy as part of the 2010 Dodd-Frank Act, but the details and implementation have been delayed until now. A billionaire is giving millions of dollars to the Democrats' effort to keep the majority in the U.S. House. Mike Bloomberg is giving $10 million to the House Majority PAC. The donation comes days after the Super PAC sent a memo to donor saying it needed more resources. Currently, Democrats hold the majority controlling 220 House seats to the Republicans' 212 seats. To stay in power, the party must maintain at least 218 seats. This is the first donation Bloomberg has made to the PAC for the midterms. The former New York mayor gave the group over $25 million during the last election cycle. The new front line of the U.S. abortion battle is on the remote plains of New Mexico. There two conservative towns are set to outlaw the procedure despite it remaining legal in the state. Entities Daniel Monahan has the story.
7: Y'all are on the way to becoming the first city in New Mexico that's a sanctuary for unborn children. Yeah!
8: The towns of Clovis and Hobbs do not even have abortion clinics, but are strategic because they are near the border with Texas. Texas was one of the first states to impose a near-total ban on abortion, and providers there could face up to life in prison. One of the largest independent abortion providers in the U.S. says the legal moves in the towns have caused it to reconsider setting up a clinic in eastern New Mexico. That's music to the ears of this anti-abortion lawyer from Albuquerque
1: industry is dangerous just read what's going on in albuquerque abortions in hotel rooms traffickers coming to your neighborhood
8: pro-life activists hope other towns will follow clovis and Hobbs to vastly shrink where abortions are still performed especially in other states controlled by democrats
7: our plan is to not stop we are planning on any state here in the nation where a city wants to go forward in making their city a sanctuary city for the unborn, then we want to help them accomplish that.
8: Clovis and Hobbs are likely to face legal challenges, but similar measures have survived lawsuits in Texas.
4: I think we're going to see the fight um, for abortion rights uh, migrate to what I'm coming to think of as new borderlands. Um, right, because we've lost the access to safe abortion in places like Texas and Missouri
8: and Mississippi and Alabama. Abortion activists say that cases such as these two New Mexico towns are the aftermath of losing the protections in Roe versus Wade.
6: Many states are in danger of facing, you know, similar, similar situations.
8: The town-level strategy is the brainchild of a Christian pastor. He is also a conservative lawyer who clerked for Supreme Court Justice Antonin Scalia, who was a critic of Roe. Mark Lee Dixon founded the Sanctuary Cities for the Unborn Movement in 2019. The influx of abortion-seeking women from Texas and word that a clinic could open in their towns is what drove pastors in Clovis and Hobbs to reach out to Dixon.
7: So the threat is very real in this community, and we know that Holman's Health wants to set up on the border because they want to get as many Texas residents for abortions right here in New Mexico.
8: But attorney Ellie Rushforth says the legal basis for the city ordinances is dubious. And
4: let's be clear, abortion is health care, and it is highly regulated in our state.
8: She says claims that municipalities in the state have the authority to prevent abortion are absurd. Both Clovis and Hobbs are located in a far more conservative chunk of the state than the more liberal areas around Albuquerque and Santa Fe. Residents there bristle that their state is controlled by politicians who do not share their views on many issues. A final vote in Hobbs is set for November 7th. Daniel Monahan, NTD News.
0: Pennsylvania's Secretary of State says there will be delays in counting 2022 midterm votes. Acting Secretary of State Lee Chapman says that's because staffers couldn't pre-canvas or count mail-in ballots before Election Day. She emphasized that delays do not mean something nefarious is happening. In 2020, numerous delays occurred following the general election, which sparked allegations of voter fraud. She also said that voters should not delay in sending in their ballots. Earlier this month, the U.S. Supreme Court overturned an appeals court ruling. That ruling required Pennsylvania to count mail-in ballots without a date on the envelope. But Pennsylvania law stipulates that voters must date their envelopes for their mail-in ballots to be counted. Pennsylvania Republicans filed a lawsuit against Chapman, asking the state Supreme Court to declare illegal guidance regarding undated ballots. An investigator says there's no evidence that South Dakota's governor misused a state airplane. The complaint about Governor Kristi Noem's use of a state airplane was lodged with the South Dakota Government Accountability Board. State law says that state aircraft can only be used for state business. Nome told reporters in 2021 that she always used it according to the law. A spokesman for Nome's campaign said the complaint was a political attack in retaliation from a quote, disgraced attorney general who killed a man, lied about it, and tried to cover it up. The complaint against Nome came from a former South Dakota attorney general who was impeached after hitting a man with his car and leaving the scene. A state attorney said Tuesday that the probe uncovered no facts to support prosecution against Nome. Republicans in Pennsylvania House have filed to impeach Philadelphia District Attorney Larry Krasner. They blame him for rampant homicide and violent crime numbers. Philly Voice reported that GOP lawmakers accused Krasner of embracing a, quote, progressive criminal justice philosophy that prioritizes criminals over victims. Krasner and others say he hasn't committed a crime or engaged in corruption, but Republicans say his failure to enforce laws is adequate enough for the articles of impeachment. Philadelphia has dealt with a significant increase in violent crime since the start of the CCP virus pandemic. There were over 550 homicides recorded in Philadelphia last year, an all-time high for the city. Last week, Krasner said that recent legislative actions against him are politically motivated and designed to sway the 2022 midterms. Records show that Krasner took in nearly $1.7 million from a group linked to progressive billionaire investor George Soros in his election campaign. Former President Trump has laid out his plans for upcoming rallies before the midterms. Trump will visit battleground swing states over five days to stump for candidates he's endorsed. Trump will visit Iowa on November 3rd to campaign for Governor Kim Reynolds and Senator Chuck Grassley. Both are up for re-election. He's then going to Pennsylvania on November 5th to campaign for U.S. Senate candidate Mehmet Oz and gubernatorial candidate Doug Mastriano. He's then heading to Florida on November 6th for a rally with Senator Marco Rubio. And finally, to Ohio on November 7th, the eve of the election, for U.S. Senate candidate J.D. Vance. Trump made the announcement through his Save America PAC on Wednesday. The statement says his Ohio visit comes on the heels of record-setting 40-year high inflation in the Buckeye State. The statement also claims nearly 70% of residents in the state agree that President Biden is leading the country in the wrong direction. New Jersey Senator Bob Menendez is facing a new federal investigation. In 2017, the New Jersey Democrat faced charges of conspiracy, bribery, and fraud that could have sent him to prison for decades. But that federal case ended in a mistrial after the jury reported it was deadlocked. At the time, prosecutors alleged the senator accepted more than $600,000 in exchange for political favors. It's not clear yet what charges Senator Menendez may face this time, but sources say it is similar to the 2017 case. An advisor for Menendez said he will cooperate with the investigation. The Justice Department has codified a rule aimed at protecting journalists. The new rules ban secret subpoenas for journalists' records. There are exceptions in certain circumstances, like if the information could prevent a serious crime, if the journalist is the target of an investigation, if the records involve already public information, or if the journalist agrees to disclose the records. Under the old regulations, investigators could secretly obtain journalists' records through a court order without the journalist's knowledge. And still to come, work is underway to fortify the beach in Rockaway, New York. The project comes a decade after the area was devastated by Superstorm Sandy. We have that and more just after this break. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis announced more hurricane relief measures. It comes as survivors still battle with the aftermath a month after the catastrophe. Here's Governor DeSantis.
8: Today we have
9: a number of announcements, but uh, first, we're announcing that for the first time ever, uh, the state of Florida has come an agreement with FEMA to expedite debris removal on private and commercial properties. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis says FEMA is going to use new technologies, such as satellite imagery and more technologies, to be able to assess damage more quickly for homes and for businesses. He says this measure would significantly accelerate the cleanup and recovery process, pointing out in the past FEMA went door-to-door to assess damage, which the governor says can take months. He also announced FEMA's temporary housing for residents of certain counties, and a statewide housing mission for people who may not be eligible for FEMA's program. The state's program, he says, will provide travel trailers and recreational vehicles to impacted Floridians. This would enable families to live on their own property if they choose, while repairs to their homes are performed. Some Floridians are already living on their property, even though their homes were destroyed.
7: We slept in a tent one night because the generator didn't work. We had to sleep in a tent. I had never slept in a tent but it was very hard. A month after having my house with my rooms and then to be sleeping on the street, it is very hard.
9: Susanna Alario and her family stuck out the hurricane on a boat in the harbor as the storm destroyed their home. People in Fort Myers are still working on getting back on track. Many are helping each other. One man traveled far from home to lend a hand.
10: I came down to volunteer from
1: the state of Alaska, from Fairbanks. Uh, I've helped out five different houses so
8: far. Well, I was raised in our country, we're, we're supposed to help each other, we're supposed to be good neighbors, and when devastation like this happens, the only way to get help is people come and help.
10: Um, and then I came here, I was quite surprised that the government's really not doing anything, the city's
1: really not doing anything, and these people are just completely abandoned from their houses.
3: And they don't have the ability to fix their houses is a huge uh, senior citizen population, 86% of the community senior citizens.
9: Some people have their second residence in this area for the colder months of the year, like Diane Risley from Fort Myers. She says many residents can't do it on their own.
7: It's very hard for these people, and some of them are very old, you know, they're senior citizens. They don't have computers, they don't have cell phones.
9: FEMA's housing program, which the governor announced, is scheduled to assist residents
0: in multiple counties including Lee County, which includes Fort Myers. Ambitious efforts are underway to fortify a New York beach, a decade after the area was devastated by Superstorm Sandy. But some say the only real way to protect homes is to move away from the shoreline. NTD's Andrew Thomas has more.
1: A decade ago, Superstorm Sandy's floodwaters surged over Rockaway in New York City. To prepare for a future storm, contractors for the Army Corps of Engineers are putting 2.5 million cubic yards of sand on the beach. They're also building dunes around reinforced steel sheet pilings. After years of delays, the months-long project is underway.
10: The sand is hydraulically placed with the dredge Illinois. That's a cutter suction dredge. It's a 30-inch cutter suction dredge. It's a powerful piece of equipment and a uh, submerged pipeline helps transport that material from the borrow area to the dredge and to the beach.
1: The initiative in Rockaway started with the construction of several jetties. The piles of boulders extend into the ocean and slow sand from shifting into the sea. Altogether, the sand and dune replenishment project is costing taxpayers $350 million.
10: Hurricane Sandy uh, absolutely demolished uh, the Rockaways uh, between flooding Uh, eroding the beach they originally they had a wooden boardwalk that was just torn to pieces so it really it impacted it impacted the locals their, their daily lifestyles it affected their homes it affected their businesses
1: some think congress should instead spend the money to incentivize people to move away from shores with a history of flooding
9: as long as we have the corps willing to put hundreds of millions of dollars of taxpayer public money into beach nourishment And FEMA has a a flood insurance program that repays people uh, when their houses are damaged during storms. Um, You know, there's not a whole lot of incentive for people to move away.
1: The Army Corps of Engineers unveiled a 52 billion dollar plan last month to build tidal gates and storm surge barriers to protect New York City and northern New Jersey. But the project won't start construction until 2030 at the earliest and won't be completed until 2044. Andrew Thomas, NTD News.
0: A steam train derailed at a Missouri amusement park last night. It injured six guests and one employee. A passenger said the carriage bounced before tipping over. The company said on-site paramedics provided emergency care until first responders arrived. An ambulance took the seven injured people to nearby medical facilities. The Epic Times spoke with one guest, Gary Eldridge, who boarded the last carriage of the train with his family around 6 p.m. Theirs was the only carriage that didn't flip over. Eldridge said his family was enjoying a performance about train robbers when the carriage in front of them bounced up like it hit a bump and it then shook for about 10 seconds before it derailed. He said they had to break the windows out of the two cars lying on their sides to be able to get everyone out. Authorities say the injuries range from minor to moderate. And coming up, Beijing getting a foothold in Europe's third largest port. What's behind the interest? A closer look at China's global ambitions linked to seaports. Barbaric tactics. That's how an expert described the Chinese regime's method of repatriating dissidents. We'll bring you analysis on this and the DOJ's related charges when we return. Welcome back. Now we take a deep dive into the Chinese Communist Party's foreign influence operations. We hear from an expert who has been keeping a close eye on this, even in the early years of his career investigating the Chinese regime's persecution of dissidents abroad. Joining me now is award-winning international journalist Alex Newman. Alex is also the author of several books and the CEO of Liberty Sentinel Media. Always a pleasure speaking with you, Alex. Great to be here. Thank you so much. The DOJ is charging 10 Chinese intelligence officials over their alleged involvement in espionage campaigns in the U.S. Why should Americans be concerned about the CCP's efforts to repatriate Chinese dissidents living in the U.S.?
10: Uh, First of all, this is an outrageous abuse of power by a foreign government. I mean, we wouldn't tolerate this from a friendly, allied nation. Uh, the idea that we should tolerate it from a mass-murdering dictatorship responsible for killing more innocent human beings than any government on the planet is uh, beyond preposterous. So uh, what we have here is agents of a uh, brutal, brutal regime uh, operating totally lawlessly in our country, doing whatever they feel like it. Uh, many of them in, in, actually have diplomatic immunity here because they're operating under diplomatic cover. Uh, and the the fact that this has been allowed to go on for so long is, uh, every American ought to be outraged, everybody all over the world ought to be outraged. This is grotesque.
0: Tell us more about these police stations that the Chinese regime has opened up overseas.
10: So uh, they they claim to be offering these uh, consular services, they claim to be offering harmless um, you know, visa services and things like that. But uh, what we know from the reports that have come out and from uh, sources that have uh, defected people who've been operating within the machine is that uh, they are much more than that. In fact, one of their big functions is to track down uh, dissidents overseas and try to get them to return to China. And, and they do this using absolutely barbaric tactics. Uh, they threaten people's families that are still left behind in China. They threaten that they're gonna be tortured or imprisoned. Um, I mean, th- this is not the behavior of, uh, of a normal government. Uh, this is the behavior of a lawless regime. Uh, and the fact that they can get away with doing it right here in the United States speaks volumes.
0: You mentioned these barbaric tactics that they use to get these dissonance back. Now, for example, many of them have fled religious persecution. So why is this significant?
10: Yeah, there's there's a lot of people who have a good reason to flee from communist China, right? You have uh, Christians, Muslims, you have Uyghurs, you have Falun Gong practitioners, you have people who have different political ideas, right? Uh, and and in a country like China, this is not tolerated by the government. Uh, And they have uh, escalating levels of intervention. Uh, And these are people who, if they were not able to flee, if they were not able to take refuge in the United States or in some other country, uh, would very possibly be tortured. Um, And in in some cases worse, right? We know about the communist Chinese government's uh, organ harvesting program. Uh, The fate that could await these people is uh, beyond nightmarish. And so to have this regime uh, extending its power globally is extremely dangerous And, and targeting innocent people like this, uh, some of the most vulnerable people. Uh, They're doing it all over the world. In fact, I I first covered this story over a decade ago. I wrote a, a major investigative piece on these types of tactics. Uh, and I spoke with the chief uh, national security prosecutor in Sweden, who had just finished prosecuting a communist Chinese agent who was terrorizing Uyghurs in Sweden. So uh, this is a global problem. It's been going on for a very long time, and the fact that this is allowed to continue, and governments uh, around the Western world are barely even mumbling about it, uh, ought to trouble us all.
0: Yeah. So that is very concerning. Now, can you tell us more about the CCP's influence in Interpol?
10: Yeah, the the CCP has been uh, for many years now on uh, a mission to infiltrate and take over international organizations. And unfortunately, it's had the assistance of Western governments. It's had the assistance of uh, like-minded individuals, uh, fellow travelers within the United Nations. uh, And that became uh, most clear in Interpol when in 2016, an actual member of the Communist Party of China, uh, former vice minister of public security uh, Hong Mengwei, Um, he, or excuse me, Meng Hongwei, he actually got himself selected as the president of Interpol. Now, Interpol is is an interesting organization. Uh, It is basically the closest thing that there is to a global law enforcement agency, and it's not a law enforcement agency in the traditional sense of the term, but what it does is it helps governments hunt down criminals who have fled from their jurisdiction. And so this is a tool that obviously uh, is very, very dangerous. It needs to be kept uh, in very, very close uh, monitor, and what we're seeing is that uh, tyrants, uh, including uh, the dictatorship in Saudi Arabia, including uh, the dictatorship in China, uh, has long used and tried to use this organization to track down uh, critics, to track down dissidents, and things like this. And so to have a, a communist Chinese agent, a known communist Chinese agent, sitting on top of this organization um, is just flabbergasting. Uh, then to add insult to injury, this is—I uh, mean—I couldn't believe this wasn't front-page news all over the world. Uh, the Communist Chinese government actually arrested uh, Meng Hongwei when he went back to China, and they publicly said that one of the reasons they arrested him was because he wasn't faithfully following uh, orders of the Communist Party. So uh, This tells you, I think, everything you need to know about the Communist Chinese government and everything you need to know about the presence of CCP agents and members within international organizations. Uh, they, they take an oath to serve the international organization, not their home country, not any political party, and yet, uh, in Communist China, it is is well-known and widely accepted that communist Chinese agents within the international system must serve first, the Communist Party of China, and second, whatever international organization they're in. Uh, The danger of this can't be overstated.
0: Very good analysis for some of this alarming news. Alex Newman, CEO of Liberty Sentinel Media, thank you for your time today. Thank you for having me. The U.S. Army and Navy are testing a new class of weapons. Nearly a dozen hypersonic weapon experiments took place yesterday. The Pentagon called the tests a success. The test was conducted from a NASA facility in Virginia. and evaluated hypersonic weapon systems and advanced materials. Hypersonic glide vehicles are launched from a rocket in the upper atmosphere before gliding to a target at speeds of more than five times the speed of sound. That's over 3,800 miles per hour. Wednesday's test was intended to validate future aspects of the Navy's conventional prompt strike and the Army's long-range hypersonic weapon. Companies such as Lockheed Martin and Raytheon Technologies are working to develop U.S. hypersonic weapon capability. So this hypersonic weapon gives us the capability to get deep inland in some of the things that we need to do. And most importantly for what we're doing in the Navy by putting it on a ship and putting it on a submarine. It allows us to pretty much go anywhere in the ocean. So the threat is really against Russia and China, particularly, and it is really to get after some of the targets that they've got that over time they figured out how to defeat some of our other capabilities. So this starts to fill that gap. The Pentagon launched the prototypes using a sounding rocket. That's a rocket used for research that's smaller and more affordable. It's meant to fill a gap between ground testing and full system flight testing. Germany has allowed China to gain a percentage stake in one of its main shipping ports, but the deal is not without some controversy. NTD's Tiffany Meyer has that and more in today's China in Focus. A controversial deal is getting a resolution
7: inside one of America's strongest allies in Europe. Germany has been weighing whether to let a Chinese shipping giant take a stake in the country's largest seaport, called the Port of Hamburg. The result? The German cabinet on Wednesday approved an investment by China's Costco for a nearly 25% stake in one of the port's main terminals. The Chinese side originally wanted a 35% stake, worth over $60 million. The Chinese buyer is a subsidiary of China's state-owned Costco shipping, which supports China's navy. It already holds stake in Europe's two largest ports. One is located in the Netherlands, another in Belgium. The port of Hamburg in Germany is the third-largest. It's also one of Europe's biggest trade hubs with China. In 2020, almost a third of the containers in that port came from or are headed to China. German Chancellor Olaf Scholz favors the deal.
8: It's not about selling the port, as in Zeebrugge or Piraeus. At most, it's about a share. It's about a share in one terminal, as is the case in some Western European ports.
7: But several ministries are opposing it over security concerns. That includes economy, defense, foreign and interior.
2: Overall, it is important that we have learned that dependencies on countries that may then play their own interests into these dependencies and then want to blackmail us are no longer just an abstract phenomenon. But look at gas and Russia are a reality in this world. We should not repeat these mistakes.
7: German logistics firm HHLA is the entity that would sell the stake to the Chinese company. It noted earlier that the Costco subsidiary would have no right to make any significant decisions about its port, given it would only hold stake in a terminal. Supporters of the deal say it will allow the Hamburg port to keep pace with its rivals, which are also vying for Chinese trade. China's interest in seaports doesn't stop at Europe. Chinese companies also hold stake in the ports in five U.S. cities, Miami, Houston, Long Beach, Los Angeles, and Seattle. And other almost 100 ports around the globe. Although those ports are for commercial use, the Chinese military have
0: visited over 30 of them. The U.S., South Korea, and Japan are sending a warning to North Korea. They say an unparalleled scale of response would be necessary if North Korea conducts a nuclear test. That's according to the vice foreign ministers of South Korea and Japan and Deputy Secretary of State Wendy Sherman, who met Wednesday in Tokyo. Washington and its allies believe North Korea could be resuming nuclear bomb testing for the first time since 2017. This after North Korea launched several ballistic missiles earlier this month, including an intermediate-range ballistic missile that flew over Japan. The South Korean Navy, Marine Corps, and Air Force responded on Wednesday, conducting an amphibious landing drill. It's part of a joint drill with U.S. troops happening from October 17th to the 28th. And if you have any news tips or feedback for the show, don't hesitate to email us at news.today at ntd.com. And still to come, in France, some residents in a violent district decided to take the law into their own hands. They organized a patrol to secure their neighborhood. An expert explains why after the break. The European Central Bank hiked interest rates by three-quarters of a percentage point today, promising further hikes to come as it tackles rising inflation. The move will take the benchmark rate for the 19 countries using the euro to 1.5 percent. The Central Bank has now hiked rates at three consecutive meetings. It's a bid to get control of inflation even as a recession looms. Higher food and energy costs drove the Eurozone's annual rate of inflation to a record 9.9% in September, up from 9.1% in August. The energy crisis, sparked by Russia's invasion of Ukraine, has weighed heavily on sectors such as manufacturing. At the same time, a broader cost-of-living crisis has knocked spending on goods and services. Cabinet ministers arrived for their first official cabinet meeting with Prime Minister Rishi Sunak. Many were familiar faces from the cabinets of Boris Johnson and Liz Truss. Jeremy Hunt, James Cleverly, and Penny Mordaunt were reappointed as Chancellor, Foreign Secretary and Leader of the Commons. Ben Wallace and Kemi Badenoch were reappointed as Defense Secretary and International Trade Secretary. Sunak's allies Dominic Raab, Michael Gove, and Grant Shops returned to the cabinet as Justice Secretary and Deputy Prime Minister, Leveling Up Secretary and Business Secretary. Suella Braverman was appointed as Home Secretary less than a week after she left Liz Truss's government over a breach of the ministerial code. Nadhim Zahawi was appointed as Minister Without Portfolio and Conservative Party Chair. Sunak's loyal backers Oliver Dowden and Steve Barclay returned to the cabinet as Chancellor of the Duchy of Lancaster and Health Secretary. Liz Truss's close friend Therese Coffey was demoted to the role of Environment Secretary. In some French cities, residents are taking the law into their own hands. They are forming self-defense groups to protect their neighborhoods. In Nantes, the actions of one of these so-called militias led to the arrest of someone who police consider the main suspect in a murder case. entity's France correspondent David Vives spoke to a think tank director who says this development shows how inefficient the French criminal justice system has become.
2: In the western French city of Nantes, A group of residents investigated the killing of a 47-year-old woman earlier this month. They handed an individual to the police who is now the main suspect in the case. These mostly young citizens call themselves a self-defense militia and say they intend to intensify their patrols of the neighborhood plagued by violence and crimes. Another militia recently formed in the city of Lyon. This resident says that the thugs and drug dealers here act as if they own the place. According to think-tank director Pierre Marissev, militias are a terrible consequence of the failures of the criminal justice system to punish criminals. Mm. It has been observed for 15 years,
3: or even more, that the criminal justice system in France does not work. And it's getting worse and worse. Let me tell you, it's getting worse and worse. For years, we have been saying that the danger of a system that does not work and fails to punish the guilty is that the innocent organize themselves to punish wrongdoers.
2: In another recent case in the centre-region of France, an individual sexually abused a six-year-old girl. The girl's fathers then severally beat up the alleged perpetrator and now faces a five-year sentence. Sev says French police is not to blame in the majority of cases, as they often have good results in solving crime. The criminal justice
3: system obviously depends on the work of the government. They have left the judiciary with indecent means, in particular the overcrowding of prisons, which encourages judges not to punish criminals. So for me, those are to blame. It's the system of justice and the government. And it is absolutely not the father who had a fit of rage when he found the pedophile who had assaulted his six-year-old
2: daughter. The Institute for Justice has 190,000 members and works with lawmakers as well as legal professionals. Last week, it organized a tribute for the 12-year-old girl who was savagely murdered in Paris earlier this month. Sev says an increasing number of people distrust the justice system.
3: The problem is not the fact that the police do not find or arrest the culprits. The problem is that the judiciary does not punish them. We get a few dozen, even hundreds of emails each week. Very often, this topic shows up again and again, more than it did a few years ago. People feel that the justice system is not giving them justice.
2: According to a recent poll by the Institute for Justice, 81% of French people say judges are too lenient with criminals. David Vives, NTD News, Paris.
0: Poland has torn down four monuments to Soviet Red Army soldiers who died during World War II. That's as strained relations between Poland and Moscow hit new lows due to Russia's invasion of Ukraine. The head of Poland's Institute of National Remembrance spoke at a monument in a southern Polish city. He called it a monument of lies. He said the Soviets did not bring freedom in 1945. They brought enslavement. Two more monuments in southern Poland and one in northern Poland were also demolished. The conflict in Ukraine has prompted Poland to step up the demolition of memorials to fallen Soviet troops. Russia argues that the Soviet Union liberated Poland when its forces drove out Nazis at the end of the war. Most Poles believe that the Soviet Union replaced Nazi occupation with another form of repression. Kremlin spokesman Dmitry Peskov condemned the demolition of the monuments. And still to come, scientists use new dating technology to piece together historical events. They're checking how closely ruins resemble descriptions in records like Hebrew scripture. And parts of the Jordan River are running low because of water diversion and pollution. The Israeli government pledges to help rehabilitate the lower Jordan River. Get the details in just a minute. Good to have you back with us. Israel and Lebanon formally signed a landmark deal on maritime borders today, paving the way to oil and gas exports from undersea fields in the Mediterranean. The deal was brokered by the United States. Israel and Lebanon remained formally at war and did not hold a joint signing ceremony. The Israeli prime minister hailed the deal as a diplomatic and economic achievement. Lebanon's prime minister said the deal doesn't impact the country's foreign policy of not recognizing Israel. Ancient ruins tell a partial story of the sieges and conquests recounted in the Hebrew Bible. Now scientists are using a new dating technology to piece together historical events. Entity's Andrew Thomas has the details.
1: Scientists from the Hebrew University and Tel Aviv University are looking at readings of ancient geomagnetic fields. The magnetic poles of the earth gradually shift over time. But materials like mud bricks and ceramics retain the magnetic signature from the time they were created. The scientists are using this signature to date these remnants more accurately. The method has been used in the past, but never to this extent.
3: When these mud bricks were burnt, they recorded the magnetic field of the earth at the time. This helped us, uh, this was used as a anchor for uh, dating other sites. We reconstructed the magnetic field also in other sites and we could use the magnetic signal to, to date sites that aren't well dated.
1: Wagner says the magnetic field and its activity is one of the most effective tools for scientists.
3: We have new technology, as you can see behind me, that enables a, a very large database. And since we have a la- very large database, we can compare many different sites by, according to the magnetic signal and this way uh, reach a very accurate uh, dating method.
1: Scientists are cross-checking biblical events with the new data. For example, they found that an army mentioned in the Book of Kings destroyed several cities. This technology could also be used to predict how the magnetic field will change and behave in the future. Andrew Thomas, NTD News.
0: The Jordan River is of symbolic and spiritual significance for many since the Bible says it's where Jesus was baptized. But parts of the river are running low because of water diversions and pollution. Entities Andrew Thomas has more.
1: The Jordan River is Christianity's third holiest place. Christians believe John the Baptist baptized Jesus at the site. Many modern-day visitors wear white robes and immerse themselves in the sacred waters in a show of faith.
5: Jesus was um, baptized here now it's holy water, so I took some holy water because, in my religion, we use it many times throughout the year. So it's good to actually <laughs> real holy water from the source.
1: But much of the Jordan River is a bad-smelling, weak flow of water due to decades of diversion for agriculture.
2: I think the most important challenge from a technical point of view is the uh, availability of the water resources here in the region. And as you know, the, the water resources availability is uh, already affected diversely with the impact of the climate change.
1: The river separates Jordan on its eastern bank from the Israeli-occupied West Bank.
2: We have a huge security geopolitical interest in maintaining our border with Jordan, which is the biggest Israeli border with peaceful neighbors. And this is a small price to pay if you compare it to a war that might break over water.
1: The Israeli government has pledged to help rehabilitate the lower Jordan River. The efforts entail the construction of a pipeline pumping stations, reservoirs, and renovating an existing dam.
2: The importance of the Jordan River, of course, is in uh, its cultural, uh, biblical, religious importance, and therefore it's so important to revive and to invest into uh, this specific river. The plan is to finish it by 2025.
1: According to the World Bank, Middle East and North African nations face the greatest expected economic losses from climate-related water scarcity. Andrew Thomas, NTD News.
0: Coming up, a fine dining restaurant for dogs opens in San Francisco. The eatery caters to hungry dogs and owners who want to spoil their four-legged friends. We'll bring you the story in just a minute. A fine dining restaurant for dogs has opened in San Francisco. Canine customers can feast on a tasting menu that includes fancy dishes like steak tartare with quail eggs. today's Andrew Thomas has more.
1: Dog just opened up in San Francisco's Mission District. It caters to hungry dogs and owners who want to spoil their four-legged friends.
8: When we make our food, it is a process. Um, It is very time consuming. There's a lot of technique. There's a lot of method and detail to what we do. Um, Our our pastries, for example, take uh, about two days on average to make. I know they're gonna be eaten in two seconds.
1: Doug claims to offer the world's first fine dining tasting menu for dogs. For $75 per pup, pooches get a multiple course meal featuring dishes like chicken skin waffles and filet mignon steak tartare with quail eggs. It also includes a mimosa and a treat for the owner.
8: Our tasting menu is more of an experience, right? Uh, it, it's uh, as much an experience for the dogs as, as it is for the owners, uh, for the humans. I, I don't know sometimes who has more uh, fun.
1: Some critics are outraged over the price point for the pets, but that doesn't turn off customers like year-old miniature dachshund Mason and his owner.
6: I wanted to celebrate him. He's so special to me. He's my four-legged child and uh this is like the perfect place to do a really nice celebration where food is too, so I guess he is too now.
1: <laughs> San Francisco loves dogs, and some people are willing to pay a premium to treat their pets. Silver Labrador whiskey is enjoying some soup.
9: It's probably not something that we would do all the time, but you know, it's his eighth birthday, so we kind of felt like we could splurge.
1: The chef says he consults with a veterinarian to ensure all of Doug's meals are safe and contribute to a balanced diet. Andrew Thomas, NTD News.
0: We are living in challenging times, and this can result in many of us living with fear, which can hold us back. Can we fix it? Here's Gina Marie with Strong Mind and Body.
5: During the past few years, a plague has descended upon us. No, not that COVID plague, but rather the plague of fear. It has become an epidemic. Fear is useful in preventing a crisis or during a crisis because you act to mitigate dangerous outcomes. Fear in that case can be appropriate. However, when fear has a constant presence, it affects those close to you and the wider society because it's contagious. Here's a test list to find your fears. Find your fears. Do you stop yourself from taking action because you might fail or make a mess? Do you fear losing your health, wealth, relationships, or self-interest? Do you worry what others think about you? Do you fudge the truth in favor of pleasing others? Do you avoid difficult conversations? Do you lose your temper? Do you procrastinate? Are you addicted to social media? If you answered yes, that's great. You recognize where fear is winning, so let's find ways to let it go. Note your fear. Self-reflection is a powerful tool. Write down your fears. This can help you to increase your self-awareness. Let go. Now that you've identified the fear, let it go. Push it away and straight out reject it. Audit your inputs. What's going into your mind? You are careful about the foods you eat. Do you apply the same directive to your media input? Slow down. Our overactive lives stoke our fears. Be in the moment and simplify your activities. Meditate, steady your thoughts, and calm your heart. The ancients knew the value of stillness, so find your inner tranquility. And finally, have faith in God. It evaporates your fear of not being in control, so do your best to surrender the rest to the heavens.
0: Think you're a puzzle master? Costco is about to challenge that notion. The big-box retail store is selling what it dubs to be the world's largest jigsaw puzzle. Made up of 60,000 pieces, the final product ends up being 29 feet wide and 8 feet long. To make it easier to tackle, the jigsaw can be divided into 60 smaller puzzles. It features a map of the world with different famous landmarks in lieu of the ocean. The price tag in this giant jigsaw is just about $600. That's all for today's program. We're really glad to have you with us. Please send us an email if you'd like to tell us something. We're going to put it on screen. For podcasters, that's news.today at ntd.com. I'm Kevin Hogan, NTD News, New York City.